Hey guys, my name is Ray Peoples. I'm the pastor at New City Church in Kansas City, Kansas. And welcome to our podcast. We hope that today's message will inspire you to trust in and live like Jesus. And if you heard something that you really enjoyed today, feel free to share it on social media. And we're excited that you're here. Now, enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, I know that this is not the most ideal of formats, and so I apologize. Uh, But this past week, I was having some symptoms of uh, COVID-19, and so I went and took a test and uh, come to find out that I was actually positive. And so with that, uh, and kind of with the short notice of moving into Sunday, uh, we're just going to do and record the message for you this morning in this way. All right. And again, I know this is not ideal. Uh, I know maybe some of you didn't come to church this morning to watch somebody on TV. Um, But I hope that today you will allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. Uh, Allow Him to reach you today and to teach you perhaps something that maybe you needed to hear. All right, I think that today's message is a good one for us, especially as we move into 2021 to be kind of begin to evaluate, man, where am I in my relationship with Jesus? And if you could even kind of set a precedent for the rest of the year, right? You could set yourself up for success in your relationship with Jesus and kind of removing some of the things that maybe are in the way of that relationship. All right, so this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, and I'd love for you to grab your Bibles there. We're continuing in Mark chapter 9 and 10 as we've been walking through these past couple weeks in our series called Pro Tips, uh, guides or help, if you will, for living in the year 2021. And I hope that today, again, this will guide you and help you in your next steps of your relationship with Jesus, all right? And so, here we go. We're going to begin in verse 17 in chapter 10, and it says this. It says, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, him being Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus responds, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him, no one is good but one, God, and you know the commandments. Do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not bear false witness, do not defraud and honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept these commands since my youth. And then in verse 21, he goes on. Jesus, then looking at him, Jesus loved and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor and you will have then treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But he was stunned at this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Now, we we talked about this last week, this idea of entering the kingdom, right? We saw that Jesus had a conversation with a group of his disciples, a group of his followers around him, and he said, look, you must become like a child to enter the kingdom of God. And today we have kind of this comparative, if you will, of of a young man beginning out in life, and he is seeking and searching to be a part of and to make a foot or step into the kingdom of God. And so he approaches Jesus, 
After Jesus has already had this conversation with this other group of people, right? A, a couple days later, perhaps, he, he comes along and he says, what must I do? What must I accomplish, right? And to inherit eternal life. And, and there's so many religions out there right now that that believe that you and I must accomplish some things. We must check some certain boxes so that we are able to uh, receive or inherit eternal life, to have an opportunity in the next life. And it becomes all about not who we need, but it comes about what we need to do. I, I need to do X, Y, and Z so that I can step into the kingdom, so that I can enter the kingdom. And this fella's heart is no different. He says, what must I do? You see, he's putting it on himself for him to then inherit eternal life. Like, give me the steps I need to accomplish, the boxes I need to check, and share with me the secret, if you will, for entering into the kingdom of God. Now, we learn that this individual has much, right? Like, when we look back in his past, he has probably worked hard to get to where he is. He has done this by his own efforts. He has accumulated the things he has by his own efforts. He has ultimately learned, hey, hard work gets me what I want. If I set a goal and I move towards that goal, then it breeds success, right? It brings success. And so he kind of has that same mindset in this moment with Jesus. If I can just simply get to Jesus, I can ask him about how to enter the kingdom, how to get into the kingdom, and I can set that as a goal of something that I want to accomplish. The boxes that I need to check and the things that I can do, right? And he has a longing for that. He has a longing for his future. Uh, an assurance, if you will, that he himself will find himself in the kingdom of God. And so, in the, in the same way he has grown himself, he wants to accomplish this goal of finding the man, speaking of kingdom, right? Speaking of eternal life and turning some effort towards that goal. And now he's found him. He is even, in fact, falling at his feet. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the question there, and in that question there, we see that he believes good can be accomplished, right? That good can be achieved. Eternal life can be earned. Now, yes, Jesus has a reputation of, of being good. In fact, he even probably today holds a reputation of being good. But it's not due to his achievement or his moral character. It's because he's the Son of God. That is where his goodness comes from, is in the fact that he is the Son of God, right? And he will even say, no one is good but God. And he's also kind of pressing into this young man and, and pressing in in such a way that he's saying, look, you're not acknowledging me as a good God. You're acknowledging me as a good teacher, right? A good teacher. And so the reality for us today is this, look, that we often fill the shoes of this young person in kind of thinking that maybe perhaps church attendance or daily reading or checking the boxes of spiritual growth ultimately uh, will earn us a rightful place in heaven by the things that we do and the things that we accomplish. 
when in reality it comes down to the grace-filled gift that is given to each of us, right? That, that Jesus Christ, in His goodness, would go to the cross and He would die for us. He would bring salvation to us that is not earned, but yet it is given, right? That's what makes Jesus so much different than all of these other people of religion, that he has a gift and a gift that he has given both you and I. So in asking this question back, Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one, God. So if you're saying that I am good, are you saying that I am God? And the answer is ultimately no. Like his thinking here is that he is a good teacher. Not that he is a good God or even acknowledging him as God. And so why do you call me good? And in this moment, uh, we see this young man's dreams may have started to get crushed, that he would enter into the kingdom of God. But then Jesus goes on and he mentions or lists these commands, right? These commands that would be the law that this young man was following. And he says, you know the commands, right? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud and honor your father and mother. And I'm sure that as he's saying this, this young man is getting more and more excited. He's starting to kind of see that, oh man, I might be on the cusp of entering the kingdom of God because then he just kind of blurts out, hey, I, teacher, I have kept these things since my youth. I've kept these things since my youth, right? And he's probably thinking, I've done it. I've accomplished it. I will, in fact, get to enter into the kingdom of God. Of God. Now, here's the thing. When we further explore these commands, here's what we find is that these commands that Jesus mentioned are commands in how we love our neighbor, right? How we love those around us. It has little or nothing to do with our relationship with God. He doesn't mention those commandments. But these commandments of loving your neighbor, these are the commandments that this young man keeps, right? These are the things that are seen on the outside, if there are uh, commandments or laws that build up the ego, these would be them, right? And he has accomplished those things, and he's so excited about the fact that he has accomplished those things. But let's look at the commands that Jesus doesn't mention, because these are the ones that he is ultimately going to speak into here in just a moment. Look, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols in my name, right? And you shall not covet. Those are the the commandments that Jesus doesn't mention, right? And those are the things that were perhaps prominent in this young man's life and the way that he lived. He probably, as we see, had set up so many other gods and idols with the things that he had and the things that he had accumulated that he completely forgot about having any relationship with God the Father or having any relationship with Him in His life. And so we move into now this intimate moment where Jesus locks eyes with Him and He looks deep into His heart. He looks deep into His soul, if you will, and He says this. The Scripture says, 
he loved him. Right? He loved him, and he loved him enough to speak in truth what he's about to say. And here's what he says. He says, one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you then will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Right? Then come and follow me. But look at that statement more closely, because Jesus speaks truth here. And he speaks truth covered in love, but also it gives us a picture of what it looks like to truly follow him. Because here's what happens. He gives this young man a remedy to his problem. Then he gives him a promise or a reward, a promise of a reward. And then he puts out a challenge. And and he ultimately does that for you and for me as well. He gives remedy, right? He gives us opportunity for restoration in our lives with him. Go and sell all you have. He gives him the steps to follow. Ultimately, deny yourself. Deny the, these idols that you have created in your life. Put those aside so that you then can come and follow me. That is the remedy for you. That's the remedy for you to experience eternal life, is that you would set these things aside, these accumulations that you have had. Go and sell all you have, right? And to remove them. And perhaps today, look, here you and I find ourselves in the same place, that we are currently putting our trust in things that are not God himself. We're perhaps putting trust in our political leaders. We're perhaps putting trust in the the number or the amount of money that is sitting in our bank account. We might be putting trust in our workplace to provide us with everything that we need. When in reality, God is asking, no, put your full trust in me. Don't create these idols in your life that will replace or take, take the place of me. And so he offers him a remedy, right? And then he offers a reward. He promises a reward for stepping into what he's asking him to do, that you will have treasure in heaven, right? That this young man will find not earthly treasure, but treasure in heaven. But he is exploding this young man's thoughts of, of salvation, that they can be earned through or purchased for the right price. He is going up against his thoughts. No price tag, right, can be put on eternal life. Your earthly treasures have no value, but your heavenly treasures is where it will be found, right? In eternity as a part of the kingdom. And then he puts out a a challenge, a final challenge. Then you come and you follow me. He's asking him ultimately to die to self. Put all his selfish desires over in another place. To come and to follow him. Now, here's the next piece, is that once he has given up these earthly things, he's ultimately saying, look, it will be easier for you to follow because you won't be putting your trust in those things. You'll be putting your trust in me, right? And your whole heart and your whole mind and everything that you are will be focused in on me. And you will be ready and prepared to follow me. You won't rely on yourself 
and you won't rely on the possessions that you have or the wealth that you have accumulated and the power that you've acquired. You will rely on me. That is Jesus' hope in this moment. That is his heart, and that is his challenge that he gives this young man. But it's also the challenge that he gives to each of us, right? That we will follow him, that we will fully rely on him, that we won't get lost in the things that we have, but that he will be the only thing that we are worshiping, the only idol of our heart, that we will fully rely on Jesus. Now there's this next piece here that we find that the young man, he, his response is a little uncanny, if you will. But he finds himself stunned. He's stunned. He's, he's shocked. He doesn't know what to say next. He had everything he needed and everything he wanted except for eternal life. And we find that he, it says he went away grieving because he had many possessions. But again, he wasn't willing to give up the one thing that would allow him the honor of eternal life. He didn't want to pry his fingers off of his possessions. Now, imagine for just a moment if Jesus came to you and he said, Hey, this particular thing in your life, if you would give that up, and if you would give that up for me, you will then have this eternal treasure. You will have this eternal opportunity to be a part of the kingdom of God. Then I would love for you to come and follow me. Well, we say, oh yeah, that'd be, that'd be so easy, right? That'd be so easy to do. It'd be so easy to give up. But on a daily basis, we perhaps find ourselves before the Lord saying, no, 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 no. I don't want to give that up but I will give up this or that, right? We try to pick and choose, but there may be something in your life today, even this morning, that the Lord is saying, if you could, and if you would, give that thing over to me, you will have eternal reward because of your action. Because of stepping away from this, you are moving closer to me. And Jesus turns then to his disciples, right? The young man goes away sad. We don't know if we see him again or not, or if he returns in some capacity, or if he went and sold everything that he had. But Jesus turns to his disciples, and he begins to now share some truth with them that I believe is truth that we ourselves can take hold of, right? And he asks, how hard is it for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of of God. And verse 24 says, though the disciples were astonished. They find themselves astonished with what he was saying. Because here's the thing, Jews had begun to equate wealth with the favor of God. In other words, if you had multiple things and you had acquired much, then the Lord had showed favor on you and showed favor on your life. And so for this young man to have so much, the Lord must be showing favor on him. Or for those that had great wealth, the Lord was showing favor on them. But here Jesus is saying, how hard is it for the wealthy to enter into the kingdom of God? You see, it goes against their thinking because wealth had kind of become a thing that spirituality was based on. Like the more you have, the more favor 
you have. And so the disciples' mouths kind of drop open in shock. But then Jesus does what only Jesus can do, and he kind of hits that shock with a little bit more shock, right? The one-two punch of the reality of his kingdom. And he says this. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And you can see that perhaps his disciples are growing a little bit in, in frustration. And they find themselves blurting out, who then can be saved? It's almost as though they're looking at Jesus going, you're putting all these rules and regulations and we don't get to have anything, but yet we get to be a part of the kingdom? Is that worth it? And they find themselves yelling out, who then can be saved? And so Jesus looks at them and he looks at them with the same intensity that he looked at the young man just a few moments before. And he says, look, with men it is impossible. But with God, with God, all things are possible. You see? And so with men you will not accomplish salvation. You will not accomplish eternity. You will not step into the kingdom of God with anything that you yourself think you can do. But here's the other piece. Is that rich man, poor man, beggar, or thief, none can enter by their own merit. However, all can be saved through the grace of and the gift of God. All things are possible through him. And when Peter hears and sees this, man, Peter jumps in and he's like, Lord, we have given up everything to be with you. Right? We have put everything aside. Our life is all about following you. He wants to make it clear, right? And he wants to let Jesus know as though he needs to know. But here, here's the other piece for us today, all right? Now, uh, this, this story doesn't mean that this afternoon you got to go home and, and put all your possessions on Facebook Marketplace and on Craigslist and you got to sell your house and get rid of your car. That, and that's not what the scripture is saying, but, but what he is saying is, look, if you have created an idol in your life, uh, some type of idol that has taken the rightful place of, of God in your life, it might be time to begin examining how it can be removed or exchanged for Jesus in your life. You see, each of us set up idols that we have before us. Those idols can be multiple things. It can be in our workplace. It can be in our home. It can be in the possessions that we have, but are they taking the place of God in your life? You may need to remove it, right? And you may need to remove it so that you then can follow Him, and you can follow Him more closely, and you can fully rely on Him. So I want to ask you this question this morning as we kind of close out here. I want to ask you, where is Jesus Lord of your life? Like, what areas is He currently leading? My hope and my prayer is that you say, oh, all of them, or the majority of them, I feel as though He is leading out. I, I go to His Word for direction. I, I go to Him for clarity and for wisdom, right? Those, those are the things that we're doing. Uh, you know, we have an exercise that we do in our D groups where we, we list out seven areas of life, and we ask the question, who is your greatest influence in these areas. 
And so for just a moment, I want you to, to kind of ponder these areas and think through these areas and, and discover, is Jesus Lord of my life in these areas? So here they are. First, it's politics. Oh, that's a fun one for right now, isn't it? The next one is entertainment, finances, relationships, your workplace, your education, and then also your spirituality. Where is Jesus Lord of your life? Who is the greatest influence in that area? In these next few moments, here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to ponder that question and, and think through those areas of your life. Is Jesus the one leading out? Or have we set other idols in place? Other idols that are leading our life in those areas? Is there a political figure or a personality, a, a radio personality that's leading your thought process in politics? Who is Lord of your life? It's a great question for us to ask today. And I think one that really, as we begin to ponder that and we begin to evaluate that, can lead us well in this coming year. So let me pray for you as we continue on. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, that you have given us such, uh, such grace and gifting and love that you have poured out on us, loving us so much that you would send your son Jesus and that he would die on a cross, and in that he would bring us then the gift of salvation. And Lord, it is not something that we can earn in our own merit. It is not something that we can accomplish on our own, but it is something that you, in your great love for us, say, here, take this. And so Lord, today, if there's someone in the room who hasn't taken salvation, hasn't received the gift from you of salvation and a relationship with you, I pray that today be the day that we begin and declare that relationship with you. And for those of us in the room that are followers and believers of Jesus, that we are in relationship with you, I pray that today be the day that we remove some of the things that are in the way of a deeper and more intimate and gracious relationship with you. And so we give just these next few moments to you as we sing through this next song. May we spend a little bit of time with you and, and being honest and open with you of who is leading in these areas of our life. And so we just give this time to you and we praise you and thank you so much for your son Jesus and your son's name. Amen. Well, guys, again, I... So sorry for the format and the scenario that we're in this morning, but I pray that God's word has spoken into your life and will continue to speak into your life in the remainder of this week. And so if you would, continue to join us in these next few moments to spend a little bit of time with the Lord before you step into this next week. I'll be praying for you, love you, and hope you have a great week.